morning, everyone. So I just want to stop before we begin the lesson this morning and say a, a special thank you to those of you who were thoughtful over my family over the last few weeks. Uh, there was, some of you will know, about a week ago, I got back from a two-week-long trip to my least favorite state in the United States. And some of you asked Sherilyn if she was all stocked up on the milk. And I appreciated that. Because as many of you will know, I apparently in my home am the human being who is responsible for going to get the milk. I'm the one who, no one will ask me to go get the milk or, or demand that I go get the milk. We'll just drop some hints and some little clues and oh, there's no milk in the house. And I'll go get the milk and that's been my job. But some of you asked them while I was gone if they were all good on the milk. And I appreciate that. Uh, it turns out my mom is also a really capable milk getter, uh, aside from myself, so that was good. One of the things, though, that happens in our house, and you'll know this if you go through a lot of milk, it is utterly ridiculous how much milk we go through. And because of that fact, because of the, num the amount of milk we go through, we very, very rarely ever get to the point where the milk has gone bad. And so, there is a time, though, because we go through milk so quickly, there was a time that I will not live down where I forgot to look at the expiration date on the milk. And when we got the milk, it was literally one day away from becoming poison. <laughs> and that's what happens with milk. Milk very quickly goes from being good and healthy and good for your body to being the complete worst thing you can pour on your cereal in the morning. Curdled and disgusting and apparently, Teresa's shaking her head there, I know that's what happens. Apparently when that date comes, the milk has now become poison. And so a lot of us watch for the expiration date. And I, after that moment, after I bought milk that was like one day away from expiring, I now make sure that I check the expiration date because I understand that milk, like many other perishable items, has a shelf life. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the billions of dollars somebody would make if they could invent a banana that never turned brown? How much money somebody would, would make if they could invent bread, fresh bread that never got moldy, or milk that never went curdled? It would be amazing because you know, for so many of us, we, we go through these things and we keep track of, okay, well, you know, we have to eat this amount of food because otherwise it's going to go bad, and, and milk is exactly like that. Milk has a shelf life. It reminds me, though, of a verse in the Bible. In 1 John chapter 2, John has something to say here about the shelf life of our actions. And this is a popular verse, by the way. He says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but it's from the world. And sometimes we don't go far enough into verse 17, pushing forward into this verse, because that we kind of stick on those, those first couple verses there. Verse 17 says, and the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Notice what he says there. 
Not only is the world passing away, not only is, is milk going to pass away, of course we understand everything in this world will be burned up with intense heat. The world is passing away, but you know what else will pass away too, along with it? It's desires. It's not just the things in the world that are going to eventually crumble and decay or eventually be burned up someday in judgment. No, but everything, even the desires of the world, he says, are passing away. And then contrasted with that, whoever does the will of God abides forever. I want to abide forever. <laughs> I, want to, I want to live forever. I don't want to have an expiration date. I don't want to have a date on me, stamped on me somewhere, along with my desires that says, you're going to end someday. I don't want that. I want the things that, that God wants for me. I want this eternal happiness, this eternal pleasure, and, and not the kind of passing pleasures that just are here for a little while and vanish away. And what I think we need to start seeing about our sins and about the, the activities of this world, as John is trying to get us to see there in 1 John chapter 2, is that there is a shelf life to sin. All sin, no matter what it is, no matter what things you could invent in your mind to do against the will of God, there is a shelf life to that activity. That's what John is saying here. It's passing away. Those pleasures are passing away. And in the moment, in the moment it feels so good. In the moment it just makes us feel whole and meaningful and connected. But it doesn't take long for that to spoil and pass away. And we need to see that. We need to see that as, as people who live in this world. And so... Really, I think the big idea of this lesson is a simple one, is that the pleasure of worldly pursuits does not last long. And we're going to look at three examples of men in the Bible who learned that lesson the hard way. But think about it from your own perspective. Do you, do you want what you do to last? Or do you want it to just be fleeting and temporary? I think for a lot of us, we would say that we want lasting happiness and we want the things that matter most in our lives to to make it stand the test of time. But it is so easy for us to get tripped up in the kinds of things that feel good now, but aren't good for us in the long run. So what are we talking about here? Well, let's just dive right into it. 2 Samuel. If you'll go back with me in the book of 2 Samuel, this is not an unfamiliar story for most of us, so we're not going to spend a ton of time covering it in great detail. But in 2 Samuel chapter 11, you'll understand that, that David is here, he's the king in Jerusalem, and in verse 2 of chapter 11, it happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch, and he was walking on the roof of the king's house, and he saw from the roof a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful. We'll stop the story right there, because right there, that's just a little seed in your mind, I think, to help you remember what we're talking about here, for those of you who know the story of David and Bathsheba and the sin that they committed together. If you want to think about the shelf life of sin, I think one of the very best examples of somebody who didn't see that was David. David was full of lust. David was up on his roof. He was looking around. And he sees a beautiful woman bathing down there. And he, he asks about her. He inquires of her. 
and says, is not this Bathsheba the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? And so he brought her to himself, and they had an affair together. And the story, the beginning of the story is just so short. There's not a lot of detail there, but I bet every one of us can put ourselves in the shoes of David and know what he's probably going through. David did not see the shelf life of sin. David experienced a pleasurable moment, a fleeting moment of pleasure. Now, you know, not to get graphic here or anything, but you can just imagine in your mind what kind of timeline we're looking at as to how pleasurable David would have found this experience. This is only a, a, a few moments, maybe hours long, and at the end of it all, did that feeling of euphoria and, and passion, did that last for David? No, it did not. And in fact, we really find out about it not lasting when he realizes that she is with child, which obviously is going to be some time removed from the moment in which this story takes place here in the beginning. But you can imagine, for, for all of us, we can, we can put ourselves in David's shoes and see it probably was over after, it, after the moment happened. He was probably not feeling this enamored sort of passionate relationship with her, and it wasn't going to last, and it wasn't going to be some... No, it was, it was about to expire. It was about to expire. He picked up a carton of milk that was only a few days away from expiring and becoming sour. He didn't see the shelf life. He didn't understand how serious that situation would be because of his lust. And for a lot of us, we don't have to be the king over a great nation. We don't have to have a porch higher than all of the other homes in the area looking down on all of our subjects down there. We don't have to be in that kind of a position to struggle with the same things that David struggled with. All you really need is a device and an internet connection. And that's about it for most of us, to put ourselves right in David's shoes, seeing something that we shouldn't be seeing, and having our hearts spark to be filled with the kind of lust that David had. And it's available and accessible to all of us, and we need to see that first and foremost, no matter how good that activity may feel, or no matter how good that fleeting relationship may feel with that person who's not your spouse, no matter how good that may feel in the moment, all of that pleasure is temporary. It's temporary. And I don't want to regret for the rest of my life some temporary fleeting moment. And that is what John is, is talking about there in 1 John 2, right? All of these things are passing away. These pleasures are passing away, and, and, and we would sell our souls for just a, a bowl of stew. Speaking of another Bible character, you know, we would just give everything we had for one tiny moment of pleasure. And isn't that exactly, though, what the wise writer is talking about in Proverbs chapter 5? I mean, Proverbs 5, you know, as we sort of begin this section in Proverbs and this wisdom literature here, the wise writer says in Proverbs 5, verse 3, For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil, 
Stop right there. Isn't that accurate? Let's not whitewash. Let's not talk about how, oh, this isn't some big deal, right? No, sin feels good. It does. Satan's got something on us because he knows what feels good. He knows that the forbidden woman's lips drip honey and her speech is smoother than oil. Oh, it just is so easy. It's so convenient. It makes you feel so good. But there was a comma there that we stopped at. Let's continue. He says in verse 4, but in the end, she is bitter as wormwood and sharp as a two-edged sword. She is one day away. She is just moments away from expiring and becoming poison. And we need to see that that's where she'll eventually end. That's where the, these relationships will eventually end. That's where these chance times alone in front of a computer and an internet connection will eventually end. It is poison, and he's, as he says here, bitterness and wormwood. It's not a situation I want to sign up for. And it reminds me of the way that Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, how Paul really is very concerned over the fact that he would spend his entire life giving himself to the Lord, you know, serving God with all of his ability, and then at the very end to be disqualified. Paul does not, in his life, talking there in 1 Corinthians 9, Paul does not want to be disqualified for just a small, slight mistake. And because of lust, that is something that we can all fall victim to. Have you been there? Have you been in David's shoes? I mean, let's just get real about it this morning. I think we've all been in David's shoes from time to time. We've all been standing on that porch. We've all been wondering if the grass was greener over on the other side of the fence, so to speak. And so maybe a reflective question to ask ourselves if you have found yourself in David's shoes. Are you going to see beyond the momentary pleasure to the eternal consequences? Are you going to look beyond what feels good now to what it will feel like tomorrow or what it will feel like ultimately in eternity? Are you going to see past now and see if this lasts? See if this is going to stand the test of time. Will you, will you stop for just a minute before your lusts take over? Before your passion takes over? Will you stop for just a minute and ask yourself, is this going to last? Is this good for me? Is this wholesome for me in the long run? Dad was really good at helping me understand this in my teenage years. By the way, when your brain is still gelatinous, you need somebody to help you understand that like, the decisions you think are good and right and correct aren't always well thought out. You need somebody to remind you growing up that, hey, engage your brain before you start doing something. Dad was always really good at that, helping me to see that. And I think for a lot of us, we need that kind of encouragement, especially when things get heated, especially when endorphins are flowing, especially when there's hormones in play. Whew. Just stop and ask yourself, is this good for me tomorrow? And that may be a helpful enough question to help you to, to, to make a different choice. And so this momentary pleasure is really what we're talking about here. 
That's really what this whole lesson is about. And lust is definitely a part of that, but I think we also see another story, and we covered it not too long ago, so we're not going to cover it in great detail, but it comes from the book of Joshua. Joshua chapter 7. I love this story. Joshua 7, moving on from David and this discussion, we're moving to Joshua chapter 7. And there's a story about a man named Achan. And of course, they had taken Jericho not long before this in a great decisive battle. And Achan had decided to do some things, to take some possessions that he shouldn't have taken. And when they went out to go to the next city, a much smaller city, the city of Ai, they fell and they were defeated. And they were struggling to figure out what was going on, why this had all happened in the first place, as we talked about in our Bible classes not long ago. And we get here to verse 20 of Joshua chapter 7. And Achan answered Joshua, Truly I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel. Just for a second. We give Achan a hard time. He deserves a hard time. Okay, I'm not, I'm not giving Achan a pass. But you know what Achan at least did after he realized that he was drinking expired milk? Was he realized, I made a big mistake. By the way, that's also what David realized after Nathan came to him. I have sinned against God, he says. Now we see here the same kinds of language, same language here from Achan. Truly, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I did. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak from Shinar, 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing five, or 50 shekels. Then I coveted them and I took them. And see, they are hidden in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath. All of these things lead us to our second point, and that is Achan's covetousness. Achan did not understand the shelf life of his covetous actions when he started digging the hole under his tent. I, I want to just stop for a second and think about what this must have been like for Achan. For, for, a few, for a few different ways. It's not like all of a sudden, oops, there's a bunch of stuff under my tent now. <laughs> like, he had to take that stuff and hide it away and bring it to his tent so that no one else saw it. And he had to ask his family very kindly, Wife, children, please vacate the tent while I dig up the bottom of it. And then he had to take all the stuff and bury it underneath there. And then he had to have them all just stay quiet about it. And they effectively did that for quite a while until they lost and were defeated at AI and the, and the inquiries started happening and everything else. But, but this sin took a long time to, to come to effect. But not only that, can you just put yourself in Aiken's shoes for a second? I don't know if you're the kind of person who, who regularly looks at your finances. You know, maybe you'll pull up on your phone your investment app, or you'll open up your banking app, and you'll look at your accounts and things like that. Can you imagine living in such a way that you were just seeing you barely getting by, barely making ends meet? And then all of a sudden, one day, seeing like $2 million just drop into your account. Can you imagine how you would feel as a provider for your family, realizing that 
We're set. We're good now. I don't have to worry about money anymore because we've got enough now. We've got plenty. We've got a storehouse, a stockpile underneath our tent. We are ready to go. We don't have anything that we have to worry about anymore. Can you just stop for a second and put yourself in his shoes and feel, feel some sympathy for what he's going through, for what he's probably feeling at this moment? I know we give Aiken a hard time, and of course we need to, but I think we've all been there. I'm pretty sure we've all been there, just asking ourselves, man, you know, wouldn't it be nice if I just didn't have to look at my accounts anymore? Wouldn't it be nice if I just had everything I needed and everything I wanted and I could just take care of everything from the stockpile of things that I had? I think we, could, we, we can connect with Aiken's desires here. But they were covetous desires, and that's the point we need to keep coming back to because we can't give Aiken a pass. We can't give Achan a pass because, of course, as, as he was guilty of breaking the covenant of God, this was not so much the fact that he was taking something for himself and for his family, but he was doing it at the express disregard for what God had told them to do. Because right after all of these things happen, you know what they do with the spoils of the next battle? They take them. <laughs> So God lets them have what they need in the next battle. But in this one, he says, don't take it. And they did take it. God wants us to be well supplied. He wants us to be taken care of. But when he says to not do something, we better obey his instructions. And really, this was the problem I think that Jesus was trying to address in the great Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5. There he is talking a little bit, I think, in the context about lust, sort of in the last conversation like David. If your eyes find their way to looking onto something that they shouldn't be looking on, you know what you better do with those eyes? You better pluck them out because it would be better for you to go into heaven with no eyes than to be cast into hell with both of your eyes fully intact, getting pulled away by them. And isn't that what happens with the lust of our eyes sometimes. We see the money. We see the opportunity. We see the money-making venture, and we just get fixated. And we don't care who it has to, to impact. We don't care what our money could be used for in different ways. No, no, we just fixate on that. And it is so easy for us to be led by covetousness in our life, and Achan was that way. And Achan, of course, did not see the shelf life of sin because not long after this, the entire assembly took him out and stoned him and the rest of his family. And then they basically named a place after him as just a sign against his silly decision. And so I think if we're putting ourselves in Aiken's shoes, I think we've all been there. And I think we need to be very careful. And so another reflective question we can ask ourselves on this topic, are you going to guard your eyes against pursuing material satisfaction? You're going to make sure that your eyes are staying where they should be. And that is really challenging, by the way, when you pull up social media and you start looking around and you start seeing all the things that everyone has and all the perfect lives around you and the manicured this and the perfectly coiffed that and everything else that you see online. 
you don't have to have a perfect life here on this earth where everything is exactly the way it should be. You don't have to have that sort of perfection in order to have eternal perfection someday. And so we need to guard our eyes and watch out for that kind of covetous attitude that could really drive us and lead us to destruction. So here's the last one. Real quick, Daniel chapter 4. And I think we all know this story again, Daniel chapter 4. But Daniel is a great example here in this story, but it's really not a great example of Daniel here. This is all about the king. This is all about Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 4, at the end of 12 months in verse 29, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, and the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? Woo! He is so proud of himself. He just, he just is looking around at everything he has and everything he's built, and he's just looking, look at how amazing my life is and what I have done. Nebuchadnezzar was full of arrogance. He was full of pride. And again, like David, who very quickly after that experienced the poisonous nature of the expired decisions that he made, like Achan, who did the same, Nebuchadnezzar, right after saying this, experiences how short-lived that pleasure was. You remember what happens to him. He basically, from that moment, is stricken as God says that he is going to put him out in the field and make him eat grass like an ox. And that is immediately in verse 33 what happens to Nebuchadnezzar. He's driven from men, he ate grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers and his nails were like bird's claws. Whew. That's terrible. For a guy who just was on the top of the world God made sure that he understood, no, no, sir, you are down here. That feels like poetic justice, I think, to a lot of us who may not have ever been on the top, right? You might, you might picture yourself, maybe even political figures who get a little too big for their britches sometimes, and you might think to yourself, oh, you better watch out. But while Nebuchadnezzar had, had difficulty and struggled with pride, this is a human problem. Every one of us can struggle with the same kinds of things that Nebuchadnezzar struggled with. You understand that, right? You don't have to be looking at the wonders of the world with the hanging gardens and all of the palaces and all the amazing things that you've built. You know what you can look at? You can look at your sweet, lovable, innocent little baby that you have and take such great pride and think that you've accomplished some great thing we can all do that. You can take such great pride in your home, in the food that you prepare, in the way that you instruct your kids, in the way that you, that you volunteer in the community. Like You can take good things, helpful, wholesome things, and you can have so much arrogance and pride over them that it sours it. And all of us can do that. Every single one of us can do that exact thing. We can struggle with that ourselves. We don't have to be a Nebuchadnezzar at the height of power to experience what pride and arrogance is all about. We can lord it over people. We can, 
We can look down on other people thinking that we've accomplished some great and amazing thing when in fact we should be honoring God for what he's done for us. That's the point. That's what we would be missing. And so Romans chapter 12, verse 3, Paul says, For by grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. You notice there he uses the word sober. It is basically like you are drunk if you look around and think you have accomplished some great things. If you think you're so amazing and you think you've done so many great things, well, then it's basically like you're living as a drunkard who's not living sober, who's not seeing things clearly. And isn't that true for all of us? Don't we all fail to see the shelf life of that kind of sin from time to time? How long do you think your house is going to be the most amazing house on the block? How long do you think your kids are going to be the most well-behaved kids on the pew? How long do you think that you're going to be the most well-dressed, the most beautiful, the most good good-looking, well-manicured, well-coiffed person around. Like, how long do you think that's going to be? Because eventually you're going to get old. Eventually you're going to get wrinkly. Eventually your kids are going to be kids and do dumb things. Eventually your house is going to crumble around and get filled with termites, and somebody's going to buy it, and they're going to paint it some weird color. Eventually... Everything you have will go to someone else, and all the things we took pride in in our life will be nothing. We need to see that what we could be so proud of and so arrogant about sometimes is just fleeting and passing. All of that pleasure, all of the sense of self-sufficiency that could come as a result of looking at our accomplishments, that's not going to last very long at all. And that's a hard one to see, I think, for a lot of us. Because we want to leave a legacy. We want to we make our mark in the world. And, you know, only, the only mark we are ever going to make is the one God allows us to make. The one God enables us to make. And that, that's the most important mark that we could ever make. So maybe the last reflective question here, are you willing to lower yourself to honor God? Really, it's all about honoring God. And if you're not honoring God, and if you're not giving him your best and you're not doing everything to his glory, then what are you doing? You're just investing your time into things. You're getting proud and excited about things that are only going to pass away. And for all of us, I think these are important questions for us to have. Because as you go back there to 1 John chapter 2, every single one of us struggles with these three basic sins. These three sins that we've looked at as these examples of men who struggled with them themselves, all of us will struggle with these things. They are fundamental to who we are as people. But every single one of them are passing away. They have a shelf life. Do you want to spend all your time investing yourself into things that are fading away, that are fleeting, that are, are going the way of a bag with holes in it? Or do you want to invest your time in something that matters? something that's going to last. All of us today, I think, need to understand that our actions are so important to God, and so are we doing the kinds of things in righteousness and holiness that are going to stand the test of time before the Lord God? 
for all of us here. I hope that you make that decision today. I hope that you resolve yourself, commit yourself, like I want to do today, to do things that are important and that matter, and to, to avoid the passing pleasures of sin. Yes, they feel good. Yes, they're going to they're gonna scratch an itch for just a little while. But there's a date written on all of those activities. And that date, when that date comes, those things will turn to poison. And so for all of us, if you're not a child of the Lord's yet, if you haven't given your life to God, then today you can start that journey with him. Today you can give your life to him. You can confess his great name before men. You can repent of your sins. You can be baptized for the remission of those sins. Coming out of the waters, a new, clean creature who gets to now focus on things that matter in life. Your old life, your old man, you were walking as a dead man, but now you can walk clean and pure and holy before God. If you want that today, we want that for you. Please come as we stand and sing. There's a fountain free.